Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Joy Anyhow Podcast, where my guest and I explore how we find and how we hold on to joy in the midst of any storm. I'm your host, Krista Robinson-Lyles, and my guest today is Allison Sakawi hemstreet who is exciting for me that she agreed to be here. We'll talk more about how Allison and I know each other, but first, Allison, can you tell listeners who you are and how you are in the world right now? Sure. Um, thank you, Krista, for having me on. It's a pleasure to talk with you. So my name's Allison. My pronouns are she, her. And um, that's an interesting way to just frame that, like what, what rises to the top in terms of how you introduce yourself. I think important roles for me. So I'm a wife, I'm a parent, I'm a sister and a daughter, and I, I care so much about my relationships in the world. I have a wife and two young kids. And um, for my work, I am a physical therapist, and I'm also a teacher. So I get to teach physical therapy doctoral level students. Um, and and uh, I'm also a clinician. So most of my clinical practice happens in the acute care setting with uh, cardiovascular um, and pulmonary patient populations. So we were talking just before we started uh, recording about your patients and your work. And so I was going to say, I'm sure joy shows up all the time in your work. And (laughs) you can affirm that or deny that. But um, can you talk about how you think about joy in your work or in your roles that you describe? What does joy anyhow mean to you? How do you think about joy? And we'll start there. Yeah, so I think, so in terms of my work, so I have these kind of two roles that often intersect and sometimes overlap where my clinical practice is mostly in the hospital, um, working with people who are really tend to be pretty sick. Mm. And then I'm also in the classroom with um, our students, teaching them about physical therapy in terms of working with uh, these types of practice settings and patient populations. And there's joy for me in both of those places. I think most people, when they think about working with really <laughs> sick people in the hospital, it doesn't strike them as a place where there might be a lot of joy. But for me, like I love being in that setting because we can offer as physical therapists who help people with really basic mobility skills, we can help them get back some of their independence and reduce, reduce their reliance on other people for really basic things like just getting out of bed, walking around a little bit, going to the bathroom independently. And those things are so key to somebody's dignity and their self-image and not just image, but their self-concept. And that feels like a really powerful place for us to be able to intervene. I love that my job is really one where I can just say, hey, how are you feeling? How are you doing? What do you want to work on today? How can I help you? How can we work on something that's meaningful to you? And I feel like in healthcare, we there's many people that don't have that kind of role where we can really ask and say, what do you care about? What do you want to do with me today? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like, if I get somebody out of bed and they haven't stood up and it's the first time they've stood up in a week or 10 days and their family members there, I can help them stand. I can say, come on over, come here. I know there's lots of lines and leads attached to this person, but come on, do you want to get a hug? Do you want to come in and like 
right? Like that's a moment of joy. And, and that can be a place that's really powerful for people who are trying to cope with someone who's really ill and they're not sure if they're going to survive. Um, so like, it, can it be really dark sometimes? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like, do our patients die sometimes? Yes. Like, do they go through, you know, suffering that doesn't seem to make sense and doesn't seem equitably distributed? Absolutely. But we find those moments of joy and sometimes funny stuff happens in the hospital. And like, that also feels like a powerful place too, to be able to like laugh with people because life is absurd and painful and unfair. There's definitely some gallows humor in the in in the clinic and in the hospital setting. Um, okay, so I talked a lot about sort of that chunk of just some of the some of the places where joy shows up where we don't always expect it. Um, yeah. And then also, I think in the classroom, like I love learning for myself, and I love being able to have a role where. I get to be present and help facilitate those moments where somebody else puts something together for themselves. Mm. I do not feel joyful when I stand and talk at a group of people for an hour. That is not joyful for me. me but if I can, <laughs> if I can design something and set people up for an experience where they can have some curiosity and some discovery and they can like put pieces together for themselves, Mm. I love that. I think that is so cool. Mm. And like, that gives me a lot of joy. And it gives me a lot of joy to have this tiny role in helping students connect with why they're there and what they care about and what their values are as a healthcare provider and what kind of impact they want to make in the world or in their community or if they have like a special thing that they're passionate about and I get to have a little tiny piece of that or even if I'm just saying you're awesome mm -hmm. keep going mm -hmm. that's cool like how many people get to do that in their jobs I don't know I just feel really grateful for that mm. um, so those are some areas that bring me joy yeah I, I love the way you're talking about um, what you can offer to someone else I mean I don't think we can create joy for someone else. They can, we can make opportunities, but talking about making space for that. And you talked about independence and dignity and community and, and all of it feels like a, like a liberatory practice to me about like mm. joy as liberation, you know, like you, what you're offering to your patients, for example, who are coming in and to invite family in to participate in this moment of celebration to ask people what they want. So there's agency that you honor and then to help them towards what seem, may seem tiny for someone else and macro and huge for someone else just feels, I could feel just my heart just melting when you said that, like, yes, that feels so resonant. And then also talking about the work with students, you know, it, again, you said, I want to facilitate learning for others so they can create it for themselves. And the fact that you can see that as an opportunity to do that just, I think, speaks volumes to who you are and what you do. And it, it, I really wonder how you do that. How do you stay anchored in that space? Or how do you come back to that space if it's been a rough day at work with a patient or you know, in the world, whatever, whatever's going on? How do you come back to those things that really anchor you in joy? 
That's a good question. And this is why one of the reasons why I think you're a great facilitator, right? Is you like draw parallels between things that maybe I didn't even perceive. But I think for me, like the parallel in those things is how do I conceive of my role in both of those spaces? Mm -hmm. And understanding that I cannot control everything in the classroom. And I most certainly cannot control everything that happens in the hospital. Yes. But I feel clear about what my role is and what my responsibilities are. Mm. And I think that gives space, more space for those sort of joyful moments to happen where like I come at it from like this perspective where I have a privilege to be in these spaces I have a huge responsibility in both of those spaces and I am also not running the show I am meant to be a guide Mm. I can say here's what I think we should do or here's what I think is what I'm hearing is in line with both of our values and both of our responsibilities and our roles each as either a patient and a clinician or a student and an instructor where like here's what I think like let's co-create a plan together yeah and if everybody's on board then like I can be a guide I can tell you like here's what I think will be helpful to you here's some pitfalls to Mm -hmm. be mindful of let's set this up so that it's effective or so that it's safe or so that it's efficient or whatever the goal is or what the objective is for either whether it's one session, multiple sessions, one class, one course, Mm -hmm. but I'm not taking all the steps, (laughs) right? Yeah. I'll I'll walk them with you, but I'm not doing the hard work. I am, I'm walking, I'm walking it with you. And that can I always reflect and feel like there's things that I could do better in both my clinical and my teaching practice. Absolutely. Always. And that that even is a source of joy feeling like, boy, I kind of stunk that up last time. And now I'm, now I know what I need to do to be able to do it better. That's a joyful experience for me. Mm. But I think really thinking, being clear on what my role is and what things am I responsible for and what things am I not responsible for? Right. I'm not going to burn myself out because somebody is so depressed because they are suffering deeply every day. That is not on me to fix. Mm. it can't be Mm-mm. can I help can I offer some resources sure but like that that responsibility can't weigh on me mm. those are such healthy boundaries I mean really <laughs> seriously so I <laughs> Allison I'm still 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 struck you're saying it and I'm saying yes 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 and and it it's so healthy I think and this goes across it could be personal, could be professional, but it's so healthy to be able to say, this is what's true and this is my role and this is where I have agency or skill or whatever it is and this is where I don't. And to be able to um, not stop caring, but to be like, you know what, here's the limits of my energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so I I feel like, I, here's what I think. I think for myself, I get good at that at moments and then I fall back into patterns I'm like, Oh, I thought I conquered that. <laughs> thought we were done with that. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> That's life lessons. <laughs> yes. Oh, so for listeners, Allison and I met 
because we share an interest in social justice work and racial justice in a particular setting we were working together in. And Allison, what you're saying all draws back to that to me, since that's my work. It's like, how do we identify where we have control, influence, right? Interest, skill, connections. So what is that like for you when you think about joy? When you think about the work of any kind of justice that you're working in spaces of or thinking about, where's joy in that? How do you find joy in that? Or how do you stay resilient in that? Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think, gosh, like joy is such an important part of that because it like sustains us, right? It being able to work in really like challenging areas where there is so much resistance and resentment and denial of Mm. things that you know to be true. Mm. Like those, those things can be really deeply toxic in the short and in the long term. So I don't know. I don't know if I have a a good answer for you. Like, so maybe a, a different way to say it is how about we we start with your joy anchors or the things that really no matter, they don't have to have personal professional boundaries, but what are those yeah. things that really you feel like are your go-to sources for joy or renewal or whatever it is you need? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I, so I was sort of brainstorming on this a topic of like, well, where are those kind of sources of joy for me? And like, I can name them like things like my family, and we can talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Being really present, being able to notice things and be really grounded in like, what's really happening in my daily life right now and being able to engage with beauty and ideas. Um and the natural world, those things are really important to me. Yeah. And having the opportunity to like set someone else up for success and like this idea of service and connectedness, those things are really great sources of joy for me. Mm. But I think one of the like overarching things beyond those sort of broader categories is the idea of joy for me is also really tangled up with the idea of freedom. And I think mm. you're sort of referencing that for me all of those things like my family being able to move my body in the world when and how I choose being free to connect with other people as my whole self and being able to be curious and learn like all of those joyful things I have to be free to do those things and there are there have been times in my life where I wasn't or that there are times in, in my life where governments or other people want to constrain that and like take a very concerted effort to doing that and so like the liberation piece and like gratitude for the Mm -hmm. freedoms that I do have are really connected to this idea of joy for me and yeah I think as a like younger queer person who was like closeted in my teens like and that was so toxic for me it was so awful for me And it pushed me to have some realizations earlier on than I probably would have otherwise. I just had this realization that like, you know, I'm a people pleaser and I want to, I'm like total, like I want to excel at everything I do. And I just realized people are still going to judge me and dislike me and treat me poorly and vote against me for such a dumb reason. Yes, absolutely. Well, like, I'm just going to live the life I want to. Absolutely. There it is. Yes. I I literally can't please everyone. 
And that was like a bitter pill for me to swallow. And I was like, well, fine, screw it. Like, I'm going to live my life how I want to. And like, that means having an interesting, adventuresome, impactful life, being of service to other people, and really just following my own intuition. Like, it freed me up to do that. So like, as painful as that realization was, I also feel like it shook me out of this, these like rigid expectations for myself. Mm. And it helped me listen better to what was really important to me earlier than I might have otherwise. Mm. It's a really long answer. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a beautiful, no, it's not too long. It's, it's beautiful because it, wow, it touches on so many things. I'm really curious about so many pieces that you said, but one of the things I was thinking was in linking this back to talking about different aspects of justice that you work actively for or toward, that's part of it. That for me anyway, is part of it is like, if, if when we think about oppression and I've had to come to terms with the fact that in my lifetime, I'm not going to cure all of these things that I thought perhaps I could do. And, and having to decide for myself whether or not someone allows me, allows in quotes, me to to live without fear, to go here. To, I I get to choose if in if I'm going to do that anyway. That is fraught. It is fraught with being afraid. It is fraught with being, you know, concerned, all these things. And I could either stay in fear about that, which is not a judgment on people who are stuck there, and or I could choose joy anyhow. And that could be all these things. Like you said, it's family, natural world for you, being in service to others. Gratitude is huge for me. And God, if I haven't learned that this year, like every little bitty thing, I'm grateful for that. You know, and it's, I just think that's so powerful. So you really did answer the first question for me anyway. It's clear to me how that sets up for you in terms of joy in the work. And then you started talking about um, this journey from being much younger. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything else you'd love to share with that, I'd love to hear more. And in particular, I'm curious about what that meant in terms of were there people, were there resources? How did you make that leap from, I feel like I can't tell you who I really am because there's all these repercussions to screw you, screw you. This is who I am and I'm about to enjoy my life. (laughs) Were there benchmarks? Were there, like, what was that? Yeah, like, what's the process? Yeah. um, So, I mean, honestly, for me, so, like, that happened, like, basically when I went away to college. um, And I went to college in Berkeley, in Berkeley, California, which is, like, a very, very aggressively liberal place. Yes. (laughs) And, And I joined the rugby team. I joined the women's club rugby team there. I thought I was going to try to like walk onto the soccer team at Cal and that was not going to happen. Okay. But I, I joined the rugby team and like one, it's not an exclusively queer space, not at all, but I all of a sudden was part of a group of women that felt safe to me. And there I had some examples of people who were really like living authentically and like being bold about their identity and I don't know. The culture is really not rigid. It really like broke me out of some of my like reservedness and some of my rigidity Mm. physically and socially. 
Um, like you have to like touch other people a lot. It's a contact sport. You're picking other people up. There's just so much togetherness and so mm. much contact. And, and I don't know, it was just really powerful for me to really come into my physical self in a different way and feel powerful in myself. And then also to be in this group of people that were like, yeah, we're not doing what people are expecting us to a group <laughs> of women playing a contact sport. And like, that was just really positive for me mm. to see people like being really whole and really authentic and that the world didn't come crashing down. Mm. And that helped me to come out and it helped me to feel like, you know, I'm going to take some losses. You know, I lost some friends. I wasn't sure about some of my family members. Mm. You know, I really felt divided from my church community. Mm which was deeply painful for me that yeah. like kind of loss of community and feeling like that faith wasn't as accessible to me as a queer yes. person. That was really, really painful. Mm. Um, and, and, but having this chance to be part of a different community was, was really important for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so a few times at least community has come up, right? Just this, mm -hmm. Uh, and it and writ large is different ways to define community, but it, I'm thinking about the way that you talked about the community you build in terms of the classroom, the way that you build relationships with your patients, the way that community helped you to be able to use your authentic voice, the way that you had to even go through the pain of losing a faith community, perhaps, or setting yourself, not setting yourself, being set aside and deciding that you were going to leave that divisive space. And but then finding another community and just joy along the way, right? Like mm -hmm. all of those things are what I'm hearing. And you you are a parent, you are a sister, you're a wife. How does any of that resonate with you? Or is it different when you think about joy with your family and joy as a parent in particular? So yeah, I think same thing, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have very much representation. Um, in terms of like queer people who are married or who had children. Mm -hmm. And so like that, that was hard for me to try to sort of envision something that I really hadn't seen very much of. Mm -hmm. um, and then beyond that, even after I was out, um, you know, like when my wife and I were trying to have kids, we had a lot of challenges with that. And that was really, that was really difficult. So I think I just never had any guarantees that I would have like a normal family. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I really wanted. And that was something that was really important to me. And like my family is a great source of joy for me. Like, you know, sometimes my children drive me crazy. Yes. but like, <laughs> They are so funny and they make me laugh all the time. My wife makes me laugh. And yes. like, we do cool stuff together. You know, sometimes being with children really forces you to be really present and to really think. There's this quote from a song called The Mother by Brandy Carlisle, and she says, Oh, but all the wonders I have seen, I will see a second time from the inside of the ages through your eyes. Oh. And like it, that just like captures that so perfectly for me, where like I get back to this sense of like wonder and like awe mm -hmm. about the world and like nature and science and discovery and like language, like all of these things, I just see them a different way because of my children. Mm -hmm. And like also my, 
my broader family, you know, like I'm so grateful for my parents and my siblings and all my aunties who really just fully accept me and I accept my family and like celebrate us. And I think there's so many queer and trans people who don't have that acceptance. Yes. yes. And I think I see that so frequently that like I understand that like my family has given me this capacity to really be my full self in all the spaces that I'm in Mm -hmm. not just when I'm at home Mm -hmm. and like that wholeness is so important to me and I, I like recognize how much of a privilege and a gift that is from them and and then the next step of that is I feel this obligation to be open and be accessible and to communicate about my experiences. And, and that's, that's really positive for me to be able to like really challenge people about what their expectations are. People are always, their minds are blown when they find out that I carried our children because my wife is much better looking than I am. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like she's, I'm like androgynous, you know, and like I get read all kinds of crazy ways in the world. And like that we can joke about that, laugh about it. I mean, my kids laugh about it. They (laughs) (laughs) last year (laughs) last year we were like taking a picture with Santa. Santa was like, Oh dad, do you want to be in the picture? And like both of my little kids were like, Who the hell is Santa talking to? But like that, that, yeah, just to be able to be like secure and to be able to laugh about some of the stupid stuff that people say and do, it's very healthy for me as someone Mm -hmm. who used to be a lot more uptight. And and I'm just really, I'm just grateful for my immediate family and my broader family for that sort of foundation because I'm so grounded with them. Mm. I feel whole even when I'm moving through spaces where, you know, the public eye is not kind to pregnant and drafted people. No, I can't. You know, like working in the hospital, I introduce myself and people like give me the big hairy eyeball. I have to give them lots of time to like figure out what's going on. But like, it's okay. Mm. Like it's a, I can, I can laugh about it and not be hurt by it. And like, that feels like a powerful space to be in. That feels like a lot of power that you have named for yourself and claimed for yourself and just like set this aside. Because even when you were saying that, you were saying giving people space to 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 figure it out. I'm like, I don't really care. Like figure it out or don't, but like, don't, don't come for me. Leave me alone. Do your thing. But it's so so much. I mean, it's healthy to have boundaries, but it's also healthy to say, to be able to laugh. Like, you know what? That's on you. You do what you need to do. I'm, totally. I, know, I know I'm carrying my child. Yeah. Totally. You know, and, And that is like, uh, that's such an important piece of that too. And that was part of why coming out was so important for me to be able to say, this used to be my problem, your feelings and your reactions and your biases that I used to take on all of that. And I don't anymore. And I really feel so secure in that. Where I'm like, if you have a problem with this, and that is a you problem. Problem. Yeah. Do yeah. your work. Yes. And yes. it matters in the clinic because especially in the hospital where, you know, half the people I see are not excited to get up and do something that's either painful or challenging or scary for them. That therapeutic alliance, that ability to connect with someone matters a lot. So like, 
I have to make sure that their read of me as a human being does not interfere with that. And I do mm. feel like that is my responsibility in the clinic. It's like I'm balancing both of these things, my need to be a whole authentic person and mm. to say, I'm not the most important person in the room, you are. So like, let's find a way to negotiate whatever is going on in your brain about my appearance so that we can move forward and you can get what you need out of this time with me. It's wow. complex. <laughs> yes. I mean, to say the least, that that's asking so, it's asking and requiring so much of you because you're really, you're really having to say, I need to honor a part of it is I need to honor what these people are experiencing in terms of seeing mm-hmm. me. And I also need to set that aside without giving up myself and be, you know, it's like, that sounds like such a complicated it dance. It is complex. And part of the reason why I feel like me being in the teaching space matters because there are many students who like me, when I was a student, I had no role models. I had no framework. I had no mentors. And like my clinical educators who were with me in this, you know, basically a year of being in the clinic before you get licensed, they didn't know how to help me either. You know, patients are misgendering me or like, you know, making all kinds of crazy assumptions and asking me about my husband or whatever. And like, you know, my clinical educators are like, what? Like, what just happened? You know, like they didn't even understand all the things that were happening there. And I didn't, I didn't have any guidance. And I would have just loved to have one example of someone who was out and authentic and doing patient care. And it wasn't all about their identity. And I think that is a huge privilege for me to be able to be in that space. Like, am I going to do it perfectly all the time? Absolutely not. But like, am I going to work on it and always try to be doing that better and trying to be of service to students that are coming into those spaces. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because the clinic's tough. It's a tough environment. And for a student who's just trying to master the absolute basic skills and to have this whole other mental burden, right? And there's lots of parallels there to students who are from other religions or they speak another language or their race and their yes. ethnicity is a barrier to that patient relationship. That is like a cognitive yeah. burden that all these people who are perceived as like different in the clinic, that they're trying to multitask. They're doing two things at the same time That's in right. a situation where they're probably already on total cognitive overload just to do yes. the basics well. Yep. You said it. I mean, that that's exactly it. It's like the dual consciousness mm-hmm. of, you know, trying to do everything that you said, trying to be quick about, I mean, you know, within a certain time parameter and co- constraint to bring all of your clinical and professional expertise and then to do that extra work and to do it, as you said, without a mentor or a guide or a support system. And I just, I appreciate so much what this must mean, your leadership, your guidance, you're turning this into something that can be joy-inducing for other people, what it must mean to students who resonate in any of those layers, who can have someone who, as you said, is authentic, who is out, who is proud, who is clear, who can say, this is my experience and those parallels. So it doesn't have to be that it's another student who identifies as queer. It could be any of those. And 
My hope, and we never know, but my hope would be that some patient or some student who would have misgendered or put you aside or counted you out might just have a change Mm -hmm. of heart about their worldview. And not that that's your responsibility. That's not your role. I wonder how that's true often and what a powerful lesson for Mm -hmm. them in needing to come to terms with their biases and their expectations. Right. And there's, that's, that, yeah, that's, that's not something that I take lightly, you know, like, am I the first, whatever I am that this person has met and like, to be able to meet people where they're at and try to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that like, we are all growing, but I always lean on the assumption, at least in healthcare that like, you are here for a reason And I am guessing that part of that reason is because you want to take good care of people and that you care about being of service and helping someone who's going through something hard and that we all want to do that well. So like if we can at least agree on that, that's a good place to start. Are we going to unpack all of everyone's biases? (laughs) No, probably not. But like, can we at least agree there? And always try try to tie everything back to that, right? When we meet that privilege resistance, can we bring it back mm-hmm. to that? You, what is your values? Why are you here in these spaces? And how do these pieces relate to each other? Mm-hmm. What an important, important and beautiful baseline. Because if we don't start, I mean, I, I think, again, as you said, you're not going to, everything's not going to be resolved immediately. But if we can at least go back to that, Okay, if this is our broad and standard agreement, this is why we're here, then how is what happened problematic? And what's our collective responsibility as colleagues to interact with this to ensure that this patient doesn't cause harm and is not harmed, right? But as you were talking, I was thinking, it's not even a dual consciousness that you're talking about. It's like a triple, quadruple consciousness. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all these things are happening at once. And It is why, again, to me, talking about joy is so important because it sounds like you do a a masterful job of, um, not that it's always perfect, but of really giving so much of yourself to your students, to your patients, and bringing joy into that, even when people may act in unpleasant or awful ways to you. (laughs) So what, what makes it the most difficult? Like, When is it really hard for you to be anchored in joy? And then how do you move through that? What what happens mm-hmm. for you? I think for me is like when I feel overloaded and overwhelmed, um, mm. it really has less to do with like other people's behavior. Mm. It's really more about like my bandwidth because when I am either not meeting all of my basic human needs like sleep and alone time and food and exercise, you know, sort of my capacity and my like generousness of spirit and like ability to reflect on things (laughs) goes downhill. Um, Yes. So like just making sure that I am, that I am able to care for myself and that is a hard place that is not always something that feels straightforward for me. Mm. I think just feeling torn between my different responsibilities is when I do not feel joyful. When I feel like that I am, if I am 
that I'm unable or yeah, that I'm unable to meet my own expectations for myself in these different roles that I have that I can be doing great at work, but like, man, I'm not parent of the year this week, you know, (laughs) or like, wow, like, okay, now I'm prioritizing my kids, but am I connecting, you know, am I taking good enough care of my wife in that relationship? Like, that just feels really hard for me of feeling like that balance is always shifting underfoot. Or maybe that the idea of balance is a fallacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've been fed a crop. Yeah. Like that is that is right. not balance. Um, maybe harmony. Maybe, but I, again, I just I love how you're you're talking about meandering through life without having to be perfect, but noticing the shifts in so-called balance. I was literally just talking to a friend the other day about parenting and about my children are both in college right now and realizing how much I vacillated unconsciously between what you just said, between feeling like I was, I don't know if I ever felt like I didn't give enough to my kids, quite the opposite. I felt like I was always Sydney and Jordan's Mm. mom and that was the identity, the primary identity. So taking care of myself didn't happen like it should. And I even think about my, you know, my husband and, and he's not suffering. Don't don't feel sorry for him, but <laughs> he's fine. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, how much having to do all of that, needing to show up as an educator, um, especially in, in, in the work of racial justice and dealing with the mess out in the world and trying to care for my kids and just when my kids went to school this year, I miss my kids dearly. I really do. And they are so good about being in touch. And I'm also discovering how much of myself I gave away without realizing it by not making time to step away. And like, I can't be away from my kids, you know, and I, and I mean, that's recognizing work that I need to do, but there's this spaciousness that's opened up. I forgot that I like to do this. (laughs) Have you you ever had that experience? (laughs) All the time. Yeah. Yes. And like, I feel like, so I was kind of our primary stay at home parent during COVID. That was challenging. You know, I was home with a baby and a toddler and as someone who loves to chat with people and likes a lot of like, you know, intellectual and like personal stimulation, that was really hard for me. And yeah, just having where my roles closed down so much during that time yes. where like I was barely working and I was, you know, the connections with friends and family were really so like under so much turmoil because of the pandemic and just having those limited roles were really hard for me. And then to like mm. start getting back into things where I was like, Oh, Oh my God, like, God, when was the last time I did this? Like something that's actually yes. really important to me. But it's it's hard to like name an absence. You know, it's easier to point out something where you're like, wow, this thing's really harmful for me. But to name and sort of outline when something just sort of fades away. Mm-hmm. And like where you don't, where like the implications of that thing being gone aren't really felt all in one moment. Um, yes. Yep that was really powerful for me to like reconnect with some of those things and be like, Oh, 
this is actually really important for me. I should probably prioritize that. Yeah. Well, you know what? So you, you literally just kind of summed up the whole thing, the whole podcast. I think this is what was happening for me when I was like, I need to do this podcast. I've been dreaming about it. And this feels right. It was the idea that something, some part of me was fading Mm. away and just recognizing how, I love what you said that like you just, it's, it's easier, I'm paraphrasing, easier to recognize things that are happening, but not to know Mm. kind of what's missing because it just kind of fades away. And I, I remember distinctly planning for the podcast a couple years ago and walking down the street and just thinking, I don't want anybody to speak to me. Don't talk to me because I don't know if you're racist or not. I don't have time for this. Like Mm. so many things were happening. And I am, I think I'm an introvert, but sometimes people are like, no, you're not. I think I am. But I, socially skilled I, introvert. I, I'll take that. I'll take it. But I, I really did honestly watch even the part of me that was socially skilled, if you will, kind of just retract, contract, contract to holding so much anger, fear, anxiety, and not wanting to open up that I really did lose this connection or wanting to be connected to other people. And I really had to sit with that like, oh my gosh, this is missing. I actually do like being in communication with certain people. And I really do like going out and doing this. And I just, again, having the absence of the kids all the time at home, it just opened up a space that was long overdue for me to say, I love playing the piano. How many times have I touched that piano? It's sitting right in front of me, like right there. But you know, whatever it is, but it was just those things faded away and I didn't even see them and it had to be something very bodily expressive where I was having all this shoulder and neck pain and, you know, like mm. teeth grinding with my jaw at night. Just that was my one of my wake up calls. I was like, what is happening in my body? But it was like that. I think joy can be like that. I think with everything that happens, joy can just fade, fade, fade. And it doesn't have to be a huge expression of joy daily, I don't think. But it's like what you're naming about awe, wonder intentionality is something I picked up on that you and how you live your life and gratitude and service and all these things have micro moments of joy Mm -hmm. that don't have to just fade away, but they can. Yeah. And sometimes having to really choose them and choosing to pick those things over other things. And that's something my wife and I talk about where it's like, every time we go on a date, I'm like, God, you, we have a good time together. <laughs> like, yeah. But like when we're at home, we're just talking about the calendar and dinner and, you know, like conference, parent-teacher yes. conferences. But we have to really like make an effort to make sure that we are giving space for those joyful moments. I have to say, I'm going to make sure that I play my guitar this week. I am going to make mm. sure that I am... Even if I sacrifice a little sleep, I, I like stopped reading after my first baby. Basically, I was so tired. I don't think I yes. read a book for like a whole year. And I have. Yes, that's probably a lie. I probably did read. It just was very, it was a lot <laughs> less than I usually did. And like, that is a place of pleasure for me. I get so much joy of like, reading about other people's experiences and their ideas and this privilege of getting peek into the brains of people across time and space. Like I love books. I'm obsessed with books. And I just stopped reading because I was so tired (laughs) because my first baby didn't sleep at all. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to read anyways. I'm hella tired. I shouldn't stay up late, (laughs) but 
but I'm going to, I got to do this thing because it's good for me. And it makes me feel disconnected from myself to not have those, those points where I feel like this is something that is good for me to do. Reading, writing, music, exercise, friends. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to go out of your way to choose those things. Even if you're giving up like, oh, well, I probably should take care of this other thing. Well, okay. You should also probably be a whole and (laughs) balanced person who actually enjoys their life too. So, Oh, wow. I love that you said disconnection or feeling disconnected because that is exactly what happens when you fade away. Something's disconnecting from self, from spirit, from other people. I didn't have a name for that disconnection from myself. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and I mean, oh God, we could do a whole series on that, but you know, the ways that culture invites us or requires or asks, demands that you disconnect from yourself to be a part of whatever it is the invitation is, which is often shitty right. anyway. But, you know, it's like, mm, that, that you sold me a bill of goods. That was not yeah. that great. <laughs> but then even in, in the world, just as you said about parenting and all of those things, the disconnection, there's no body or person right in your home saying, let's be disconnected. But all of the things you're juggling. And when you said about going on a date with your wife and I actually like yeah. you, like, <laughs> this is why we got yeah, together. Exactly. Oh yeah. You're very, you're yeah. very fun and funny. Right. To rediscover that. But I, I really admire that you were doing that while your kids are young and early, you know, and I've had a similar experience with my husband where we go and do just not very huge things. And it's like, I do like you. I do, you know, and, and we do have, we share this synergy and this and that. And just getting that time, we didn't do a good job early on about date night and, you know, all the things our kids were involved in and working and we both commuted a lot. And if I had to say, there's one of the things I regret in that way, it is commuting so mm. much to work and, and losing out on a lot of time for myself. Cause my kids, I mean, I, I did not, I don't think this is me assuming. I don't think that they lost any time because when I came home, it was like, okay, how was your day? Dinner. Let's talk. Let's do homework. And I went to bed exhausted, but it was that. It was not reading. I have I have this whole wall of books because I won't give them away. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I love my books. <laughs> and I love, my husband's like, really, have you read? I'm like, yes, and don't touch it if I haven't. I don't, like, those are Bye. my books. <laughs> yes. But, you know, books and, and walking and um, going out with my girlfriends and just, Sitting by myself with no one talking to me at Amen. all, you know, solitude. <laughs> it's like more of that. And I, I love that you are, even if you're not perfectly figuring it out, you're at least acknowledging this is what we need. And so the disconnection is from ourselves, but it's also from other people who inspire us or connect to our joy anchors, you know, or whatever. So thank you so much for naming those because I think joy can just fade away. I think or it seems elusive and um, wow, it can really be there. I didn't even know you played the guitar. <laughs> Not very well, but like I really only, you know, like I only, I just play for pleasure. And yeah. I had to, when my kids finally got old enough where I didn't feel like they were going to get a head injury if I wasn't right next to them. Like <laughs> yes. where I was like, okay, if I'm just standing outside, making sure they're fine, I can play my guitar and do that too. It's, I And yeah. they're good with it. Maybe that's, a good thing for them too, that it's not, everything's either good for them or good for me. Sometimes it can be both. 
Mm. Right. I'm mm. going to start cooking meals that they probably won't like, but maybe they're going to try some and maybe they will eat more than just pasta when they're adults. <laughs> It's like my mother tells me, if they get hungry, they'll eat. Right. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> she's like, I can't believe you all make all those different dishes. I'm like, well, but yeah, yeah. I mean, to expose them to all the things that you're talking about, I think they are really lucky kids. I mean, I'm sure you all chose each other in some cosmic spiritual way. And and I also love that all of what you're talking about and how they're seeing that modeled at a very early age. Because I think, you know, what I know for sure about kids is they take in everything that we say and do and everything we don't say and Mm -hmm. don't do. And they make meaning of it, whether we even know it or not. And I love listening to my kids, even now when they're with their cousins and how they make sense of the world when I'm cooking and they're upstairs and they don't know I can hear them. And often, so many times when they were younger, just listening to them was so powerful Mm -hmm. because I go oh, shoot, I didn't realize they took that in that way or that's how they're making Mm -hmm. sense of it. And it's developmentally appropriate Mm -hmm. and probably very wise. But just listening to them for a little bit has been so powerful. Like, okay, all right, Mm. good information. Maybe I act on it, maybe I don't. But seriously, just I, I appreciate so much the wisdom that kids bring. And I think we could learn so much from them about joy and play and, you know. Oh, yeah. That and like, stuff. I love that. My <laughs> kids crack each other up. Like, they have a blast together. I know there's tons of stuff that I can do better as a parent. Do I get totally overwhelmed and yell at them? Absolutely. And I wish I didn't do that. And I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And unpacking some things from my childhood that are probably related to that. <laughs> Um, it's a slow process. There's a lot of boxes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like them, they were playing with each other the other day and they were pretending that they were having a classroom and then they were pretending that one of the children in the classroom was saying bad words. And both of them are saying all these terrible words. They were just swearing and they're four and seven and they know all the bad words, which is totally a reflection <laughs> on my parenting. And then they, but they, they were pretending that the classroom was having this very productive discussion about how to handle the fact that one of the people in the class was swearing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see the joy in this moment. My kids are playing independently. They are laughing together and they are talking about resolving conflict as a group. Yes, they're problem yeah. solving. Yes. I love and that's that. like being present, being able to notice things, being able to see things with like some humor and recognize that there is absurdity yeah. and nothing is ever going to be perfect. And are you going to lose out on all of the good by wishing everything was perfect? I don't want to do that. Mm. That That is a perfect, perfect way to bring us full circle and and start to kind of wrap our arms around this because- If we wait for everything to be perfect and right, you're right. Never will be. And I think it goes back to what you said early on. I can either have you design my whole life and determine liberation and what that looks like for me, or I can claim it for myself and find people who want to help me get there. And then I want to support other people in the same way, you know? And um, it sounds like you're doing that in the most authentic, loving, imperfectly perfect way. (laughs) And I think, now, if your kids were my kids, my little kids, they would have been doing it on purpose. Like I could totally see them like, how can we say a cuss word and not get in trouble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's have a productive. <laughs> I'm not saying your kids did. I'm just saying I know my two. <laughs> Again, 
but but they say, oh well, my, you know, at least we can, you know, we have this conversation. But I love, the, I love the problem solving. I Good love stuff, it. right? Yeah, right. I love that you're cherishing those two, and um, I'm telling you that you learned this earlier than I did. So, well, the perspective is there. <laughs> is the execution perfect? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Will not be. Yeah. I just tell you right now, give up perfection. <laughs> my kids say that to each other. So, they say. Perfect isn't even a thing. I'm like, okay, great. Oh, I like mm-hmm. it. I like it. Ah, oh, you're doing a great job. You and Some, your wife. Apparently, you're doing a great job. <laughs> then you're doing a great job if it's homeless <laughs> sometimes. I appreciate that. <laughs> Better than that. <laughs> oh, well, listen, I'm so grateful for you. I, I want to honor your time and I want to maybe end with one, anything that you want to say. And if there are one or two things that you know for sure about joy or joy anyhow, any of those things you want to share with us? Well, I think I think you kind of hit on a big part of it. Is I don't I don't think we should wait for it, and I don't think we should expect that perfection or peace is a prerequisite for finding those joyful moments, and that and that you know take it while you can get it, take it where you can get it. Because it doesn't last, and but otherwise, yeah. what's the point? Like, if you're not here to, you know, have, be meaningfully connected with other people and to try to do some good with your life and enjoy your life and enjoy the people that you are blessed with, then like, what are you doing here? You know, make the most of it, and I think that other piece of the the freedom and joy and that connection there and that there is joy in wanting to make sure that everybody is able to access that and that if you can do one thing that helps someone else have a more equitable life and ability to be joyful and free and to be able to move through the world how they want to that's a huge privilege and you don't have to be anybody special to do that my mom did that and mm. she was a bank teller, you know, she wanted to be a great yep. parent and she worked part-time at the bank, but she found so much purpose there in being kind and being of service to people and, and really just accept, you know, she treats people who don't have a home the same as she would treat the mm. famous football player that comes into her bank. She treats everybody with so much kindness and dignity and respect and, she found a lot of joy and a lot of purpose in her work, even though a lot of other people would devalue it. And I yeah. think that was a really powerful lesson for me. And, you know, I hope I even capture a little bit of that in, in my work. Mm, I think you do. I mean, I think you do. And I think you do it not just in your work. I think you do it in, in how you see the world and raise your children. And I feel honestly so lucky to be on this planet with you at this time and to experience you because if you could just clone yourselves and repopulate the whole world, we would be, (laughs) we would be so good, Allison, like no problems. This podcast wouldn't be a thing and I would be okay with that. We wouldn't have to talk about it because we'd be about it, but I really do. I really value you and I'm so glad to have gotten to know you and I just cherish, I cherish everything you said and appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Likewise. I mean, I think I, try to tell you, but the, our experiences in, you know, in these like equity programs and your education has been super impactful for me as a person and as a clinician and a teacher. And I'm just really grateful for you. And I support 
all of your efforts to <laughs> connect with joy for yourself and with people in your community. I think there that is hugely valuable and it's not something that we always get the message that that matters as in our mm. culture and it matters. Yeah. I agree. Thank you. Joy matters. Yeah, Joy anyhow it matters. Does. It does. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate all the reminders about the way that matters to you and the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, thank you for being you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So there you have it, everyone. Words of wisdom, lived experience, and such a beautiful way of looking and living in the world from Allison Sutkawi Hemstreet. I'm still thinking about a lot of the things Allison shared, including the way she talked about finding moments to laugh because life can be absurd and painful and unfair. And really understanding that it's not our responsibility to fix people. We can help where we can. But I really loved how she talked about absolving herself of the responsibility to fix people and being very clear about the things she's responsible for. Allison also talked about how much joy is tangled up with the idea of freedom for her. And she said, the liberation piece and the idea of gratitude that I have are really connected to joy for me. She said a lot of really wonderful things, but a couple of more that I'd love to leave you with. She said, part of why coming out was so important to me was to be able to say, this used to be my problem, your feelings, your reactions, your biases. I used to take on all of that and I don't anymore. And a question that Allison asks herself, am I going to lose out on the good by wishing that everything was perfect? I don't want to do that. Perfection and peace are not prerequisites for finding joyful moments. I love it all. I'm really grateful for Allison. And as I wrap up season three, I really, really, really want to thank every one of you who are listening or have listened. I want to offer incredible, incredible gratitude for every woman who has come on this podcast and shared her story meandered with me through what joy is and how joy anyhow can show up, posed beautiful questions that we can all embrace and live into, and been vulnerable and honest and lovely. And I've appreciated the laughter, the learning, the joy anyhow. And these lessons are helping me to really live into the fullest, best version of myself. Until next time. I'm your host, Krista Robinson-Lyles.